at this time, <clears throat> let us turn to Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 12. Today's scripture reading comes Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 12, 22, sorry, and uh, a very famous story. <clears throat> this is God's word. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber. But he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never been upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Amen. You have heard me say many times that sin is the most destructive power in the whole of the universe. Thankfully, while sin may be the most destructive power 
it is not the most powerful force. What do you think is the most powerful force in the universe? I think it is love. Love is behind the noblest deeds of men. Love can make a mom who is frail become the fiercest defender of his children. But sadly, love is also behind the most wicked deeds of men. When we get to the bottom of it, everything we do is fueled by what we love the most. Some of you may be saying, Pastor James, that's not true. I'm not here because I love being here. I'd rather go to the beach or stay home and play video games in my air-conditioned, cool, nice room. But I beg to differ. Even though you may not think that you'd rather be doing something, you, even though you may think that you'd rather be doing something else, you are here because of what you love more than anything else, at least for now. You may love God more than you think, which I hope is the case, or you may love and trust your parents to do what they want you to do. Or at least you love not making your parents sad or upset more than anything because you love your parents. That is not ideal, but as you do, I pray that the Lord will increase your love for your God more and more. So then the ultimate issue in life is what it is that we love. This may be why the greatest commandment is about love. Loving God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. These commands teach us that not all things are to be loved equally. Some things should be loved more than others, as there are things that should not be loved more than others. These commands also imply that there are things we should not love. There's such a thing as a fatal attraction, like a moth being drawn to fire to its own destruction. Samson and Delilah, their story is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. There was a time when even Hollywood took notice of this story and made a movie or movies about them. We can understand why. A love story between a handsome, strong, sensual man with a long streaming hair and a beautiful, seductive woman. But theirs is a story of tragic romance, which ended in Delilah's betrayal of her lover and Samson's demise. Samson's romance with Delilah, if we can call it that, is a classic example of what happens when we flirt with temptation and sleep with sin. Next week, we will see how this tragic relationship is a redemptive historical picture of Israel her idolatry and demise. Today we will see in Delilah and the Philistine lords 
the seductive and destructive power of sin and Samson's foolishness in loving Delilah. Then we will see how Jesus' love for us saves us from sin and how he deserves our love above all things. It's wonderful to fall in love with someone. It brings silly smiles to your face and songs to your lips. It electrifies your heart with thrill and joy. It lights up your eyes to see the world in super high definition. Samson saw Delilah and he fell in love with her. At least that's what he thought. Can we blame him for his longing for love? Who among us doesn't have that desire? Maybe he was getting tired of judging Israel and fighting the Philistines. So he wanted a refuge and respite in a woman's gentle embrace, losing himself in the warmth and comfort of her bosom. Maybe he thought he finally found what he had been searching for all his life in Delilah. Being with Delilah, he might have never been so happy. But how foolish Samson was. Was Delilah worthy of his affection? We don't know much about Delilah's background. Most likely she was a Philistine woman, even though our passage doesn't say so. It seems like Samson had a thing for Philistine women. But Delilah was certainly not a woman of upstanding morality. Unlike the prostitute in Gaza, she was more than just a one-night stand for Samson. But it doesn't seem like there was a talk of marriage between the two. They were simply having a long-term illicit affair. Delilah did not say no to Samson's advances. Did she love him as he loved her? He was the strongest man known at that time. Maybe she was too afraid to say no to such a man, or maybe she could she found it flattering that the most strong, the strongest man in her time wanted her so badly. But it was not for love that she stayed with Samson. Delilah had no problem betraying him for money. Interest, interestingly, she's the only one, woman whose name is given in Samson's story. Even his mother's name is not given to us. She was certainly not the first woman Samson desired. There were many before her. But she was the latest object of his passionate desire, not because he would finally settle down with her as husband and wife and, and, and for the rest of her life, but because she would lead him to his final demise. Maybe she alone has her name given because she had the dubious honor of bringing him down to his final fall. Delilah was also ruthless and relentless and unscrupulous. She would not stop nagging and pestering Samson. She had only one goal, and she would not stop until she got the secret out of him so that she could get the bribe that the Philistine lords offered to her. And she, would, and she would do anything and everything to get what she wanted. It didn't matter how much Samson loved her. It didn't matter how much love and affection Samson showed her. 
when, whenever she saw an opportune time, she asked him for the secret. Sometimes she begged with tears. Sometimes she pouted. Sometimes she played coy and withheld what he wanted. Sometimes she was extra sweet. But it was all fake. She did all these things with an ulterior motive, and she would not stop. So we read in verse 16, and when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. She even said to Samson, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. Do you see she had the gall to accuse Samson of not loving her enough when she had no love in her heart, when her heart was full of deceit and evil intention against him. Isn't it so sad to see Samson's love being so out of touch with reality. Not only was Delilah far from being the woman of his dreams, there were also the Philistine lords who were hell-bent on destroying Samson. Samson gave them not only defeat, but also humiliation. It was one thing to be defeated by a worthy foe in an even battle, it was another for a thousand men army to be defeated, to suffer a total annihilation by one man, Samson. Their men slaughtered and their pride hurt. They wanted to avenge themselves on Samson, their number one enemy. And they wanted to do this no matter what or how long it took. Think about the money that the lords of Philistia offered to Delilah. Many translations say 11,000 pieces of silver. Some say 11,000 shekels of silver. We don't know how many lords offered that amount, but Philistia had five lords, according to 1 Samuel 6.16. If so, Delilah was offered 5,500 silver pieces. But the Hebrew version does not give any measure. It simply says a thousand and a hundred silver. And so then how much was that? Kay Rebecca Martin points out how Micah offered a Levite 10 silver a year plus lodging and a suit of clothes for his service as his household priest. 10 silver was not that much for an annual salary, even at that time's standard. But even so, 5,500 silver, that would have been enough to pay this guy for 550 years. That's not just a chump change, is it? If that is the case, we can see how determined these Philistine lords were to destroy Samson and how foolish it was for Samson to neglect this fact. There's nothing wrong with wanting love, but to pursue it as if there were no war between Israel and Philistia, as if you were not at the top of Philistia's most wanted list, as if Delilah were not a Philistine woman who could be a Philistine spy, which she's turned out to be, as if he were not Israel's judge and had no responsibility to God and to Israel. That was so foolish, wasn't it? Was Samson simply naive and not so intelligent 
I don't think so. He could make up riddles and compose clever poems. He was not all brawn with no brain. I fear that Samson's foolishness didn't come from naivete or lack of intelligence. Rather, his foolishness shows the power of sin, which can turn the most intelligent man into a fool and the most mindful man into a blind. Think about his obsession with Delilah. Did she have such power sway, powerful sway over Samson because she was the most beautiful, seductive woman at that time? Possibly. At least that is according to the Hollywood version of this story. As the strongest man of that time, Samson could have had any woman he wanted, even the most beautiful one. But we don't know for sure whether she was an irresistibly attractive woman. We know Delilah's name, but the Bible doesn't give us any description of her physical appearance. In fact, if we know anything about sin and its power, Delilah didn't have to be the most attractive woman to be an object of Samson's infatuation and obsession. C.S. Lewis explains this powerfully in Screwtape Letters, a collection of fictional letters which the, most ex the more experienced demon Screwtape writes to his less experienced nephew demon. And this is what Screwtape says to his nephew, Wormwood. As this condition of not dealing with sin appropriately becomes more fully established, you will be gradually freed from the tiresome business of providing pleasures as temptations. You no longer need a good book which he really likes to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him waste his time, not only in conversation he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering, not parting out, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited and nothing given in return. So that at last he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here, I now see that I spend most of my life in doing neither what I ought nor what I liked. That's the blinding power of sin. To make you waste your time. To make you love worthless things. Yes, Satan may start with good promises and beautiful things of this world. But as you get addicted to Satan's temptation, you will fall for less and less and less things and waste all of your time and life pursuing worthless things. And isn't that tragic? Such is the blinding power of sin. A man may be married to a beautiful, intelligent, and kind woman to the envy of his friends, but still have an affair with another woman who is far less beautiful and intelligent. That has been known to happen more often than not. 
I would be surprised that given his lifelong dalliances with the Philistine women and his sinful lifestyle, it didn't take the most beautiful woman to make Samson obsess over her. I remember a famous actor who was married to one of the most beautiful women in the world, caught having an affair with a prostitute. That's what sin does. And maybe that's what Samson was doing with Delilah. Maybe she was not the most beautiful woman. And how do you feel when Samson is getting nagged by Delilah? It's so frustrating that you feel like yelling at him to wake up. Why can't he see that this is a repeat of what he went through before with his Timnite wife who betrayed him and caused him so much trouble? Why couldn't he see that this is a deja vu? This highlights Samson's foolishness of making the same mistake like a dog going back to its own vomit. How could he not notice that something like this happened before, that a woman who would not stop at anything to get his secret is up to no good, that he should run away from such a woman as fast and as far as he could? There were so many obvious red flags to warn him, but Samson's lustful love made him ignore all the warning signals. It didn't seem like he learned his lesson the first time. And this time, the cost would be very high. His eyes gouged out, and in the end, his life itself would be taken away, not to mention all the humiliation he had to suffer. This is the blinding effect of sin. It made him overestimate his power and underestimate his danger. After all, every, everything turned out okay before, even after he divulged his secret to his Timnite wife. He managed to avenge himself and kill 1,000 Philistines. He might have thought all is well that ends well, but is that so? Paul said, do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? When our sin ends well by the grace of God, God is not saying that our sin is okay. He's calling us to acknowledge our sin and repent of it, but to do it in awe and gratitude for God's surprising and amazing grace. Samson didn't catch that. With God's help, he would again manage to kill many Philistines, but not before he was captured and humiliated and had his eyes gouged out. But can we laugh at him? I'm sure many of us are guilty of the same thing. I'm guilty of it for sure. Sometimes I wonder, how many times do I have to go through the same thing to finally learn my lesson? Am I stupid or something? In so many ways, we are like Samson, especially when it comes to our spiritual life. So then are we doomed to the same failures and fate of Samson? Keep in mind, the Samson was not a Gentile outside of God's covenant with Israel. In this sense, since we were very similar, 
He was not just any Gentile out there. He was under God's covenant with Israel. Not only that, he was Israel's judge. He was chosen by God even before he was conceived. And he was blessed and favored by God in so many ways. If such a person can make such fatal mistakes and suffer such humiliation and misery, what about us? There may not be major differences between Samson and us other than the fact that externally speaking, he was far more blessed and far more favored by God than us. But there is one major difference between Samson and us. The coming of Jesus Christ. As the late Reverend Charlie Dennison used to say, because Christ came, nothing is the same. Because Christ came, nothing is the same. What difference does it make then? Especially when we consider the fact that Samson received the same justification that we have received by faith. He by faith in the coming Messiah and us by our faith in the Messiah who came. I think we can say that there, are, there is much difference between him and us. More than anything, we know that Jesus, as our true deliverer, did what Samson failed to do. Samson was too busy pursuing his own pleasures, especially in Philistine women, to faithfully carry out his calling as Israel's judge and deliverer. On the contrary, Jesus devoted himself completely to fulfilling God's will. Loving God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength and loving his neighbors as himself. To the point of wholly sacrificing himself, not only when he died on the cross, but also all throughout his life and ministry by taking up the cross of self-sacrifice and service to others daily. Samson met his humiliation and demise by loving a woman he was not supposed to, who was in league with his enemies. Shockingly, in this regard, Jesus was the same. He chose a bride for himself who was not worthy of his love. She was rebellious, idolatrous, sinful, an object of God's wrath in league with Satan. So what did he have to endure because he chose to love this unworthy bride? All manner of suffering, humiliation, and in the end, death on a cross. But that's where all the similarities end. Samson loved Delilah for his own pleasure. Jesus loved the church to save her. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Samson loved Delilah, not knowing what kind of woman she was and what kind of terrible things she would do to him. Or maybe he knew it, but he was hoping against hope that she would not do it by the goodness of her heart. 
But Jesus went all the way to the cross, totally aware of the full extent and depth of our, our sin, yet willing to suffer and die for us, bearing God's full wrath against our sins. So Paul can victoriously and triumphantly declare, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What good news is this, that God no longer condemns us for our sin. If God should not condemn us, if God should accept us as His own, if the Almighty God is no longer against us but for us, what shall we fear? If Christ loved us to the point of laying down His own life for us, would He not graciously give us all things that are good for our good? He promises that all things will work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Every day in every situation, we will be faced with the question of whom and what we will love. Do you choose to love God, who loves you so much with His perfect and infinite love? Or would you choose to love sin again? Samson's tragic romance with Delilah is a warning to us all. For sure, because of Jesus Christ, sin cannot condemn us before God. But sin is still sin. It still destroys everything it touches. It can still wreak havoc in our lives. Sin is no lover of ours. It has nothing but ill will toward us. Sin is evil in its nature, relentless in its pursuit of its victims, and unscrupulous in its method of destroying us. When we flirt with sin and sleep with sin, it will bring disaster and destruction. Not eternal because you are in Christ, but temporal and still painful. Samson is a classic picture of that. Of course, we should not hate sin for hell. We should hate sin as hell. We should hate sin because of what it is to God, how hateful it is to God, how contrary it is to everything that is good and noble and beautiful and true. But isn't it only wise for us to avoid sin for all the hell it can raise in our lives as well? Reflecting on this passage broke my heart. Of course, it was hard to see Samson so blessed by God and his foolishness and the ensuing misery he had to suffer as a result. And maybe it's because I see myself in Samson as well. But what also broke my heart is this, the sheer contrast between Samson's gross negligence of his calling and duty and the Philistines' total devotion to Samson's destruction. Why is it that those who oppose God and His people are so fully, utterly committed, while those who serve God are often half-hearted and distracted in their service? 
If anyone deserves our total commitment and devotion, is it not God? Should we not love God more than we love our sin? It is only rational that we should love God more than sin or anything else. But as we have sinned, as we have seen, sin can make us do the most irrational things to our own hurt. How do we overcome sin, which is the most destructive force in the whole universe? Well, we can overcome sin with the most powerful force in the universe, the love of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. So then, brothers and sisters, if you want to overcome sin in your life, abide in Christ. Abide in His love for you. When trying to love Him doesn't seem to work, stop striving pause when you fail again and again in your efforts to love Christ stop pause go back to the cross and sit at the foot of the cross and stay there for a while see how his love for you conquers sin and death for you See how the love of Jesus Christ is more powerful than the force of sin. See how his love has brought you this far through many dangers, toils, and snares. Rest in his love. Reflect on his love. Bathe in his love. Be renewed in his love. When you do that, his love will compel you to love him more than this world, more than your life, because you realize that his love will give you the glorious eternal life in that wonderful kingdom of God to live with him forever. I hope that this tragic romance, romance between Samson and Delilah, because Jesus came for us, will be transformed into the most beautiful romance of holiness and true love and beauty. Because Jesus loved us with his self-sacrificial love, not to please himself by using us, but to save us from the most destructive thing in the whole of the universe, to give us the most beautiful thing in the whole of the universe, himself and his eternal and infinite love. I invite you to that wonderful romance between Christ and his church. I invite you to come and taste the goodness of his love for you, that you find your security and joy and delight in that love.
and that you will experience the life-transforming power of that love so that this romance will blossom into the most glorious wedding and the marriage of eternal bliss in that glorious heaven forever. Starting now, put your faith in Jesus Christ, the most wonderful bridegroom who gave himself completely for you because he loves you so dearly. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, we give you thanks and praise for your marvelous love. We thank you for what Christ has done because he loves us so. We confess, Lord, that he deserves our love more than anything or anybody in this life. But we also confess that the power of sin is great and it makes us do the most irrational thing to make us abandon the fountain of living water and go after the cisterns, the broken cisterns that cannot hold water. But Lord, wake us up by your Spirit. Work in us. Help us, Lord, to abide in Christ and his love. And help us to be filled with his love, touched by his love, and renewed and satisfied with his love so that we can love him because he first loved us. Oh Lord, we, I pray that you will bless each and every one of us and all the members of our church and all the people of God with an experiential knowledge of your grace and love for them so that they will treasure you more than anything because you treasure us, even to the point of sacrificing your own life. May our life be the most beautiful rom romance the world has ever known. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.